0: So near the end of Christmas break, during my first year at Trinity Western University, I caught a ride uh, with my dad from Red Deer, Alberta, to Langley, British Columbia. I arrived on campus just a few days before classes were set to resume. Now Corinne and I had been dating for about four months at this point, and we hadn't seen each other for about a week, so I really missed her. (laughs) So when I got a call a couple days later uh, from Corinne, she was at the airport with Vancouver friends. They had flown in from Alberta to uh, to Vancouver, and she asked if I could give them a ride from the airport uh, to campus. And immediately I said yes. Now my car was broken down, but that didn't stop me. So I went around my dorm and I started asking guys, "Hey, could I borrow your car?" Second guy I got to says, "Absolutely, you can borrow my car, but it's not much of a car." I so, <laughs> what what do you mean it's not much of a car? He said, "Well." It's reliable and it's safe. It'll get you there and it'll get you back. But it's really not much to look at. I said, I'm not looking for style points. I just want to get there and I I want to get back. He said, sure, you can borrow my car. He handed me the key. So I'm on my way out of the dorm to, uh, to head to the airport. And I remember, I said, man, I've never seen your car. Can you describe it? He says, well, it's an old brown Toyota. Old brown Toyota. Check, got it. So go to the parking lot. There's dozens of cars in the parking lot. I start looking around for an old brown Toyota and I can't see one. So I'm walking around, I'm walking around, I wanna get going, I wanna get to the airport. And I walk past this brown Toyota Celica. It's not really that old though. You know, but it, I guess it's old-ish and I don't see any other brown Toyotas, so it's worth a try. I take the key that my doormate gave me, I walk over to the driver's side door, it's a little bit sticky, but it unlocks, I jump in, Stick the key in the ignition won't turn at all. huh? So I rattled it around a little bit, I pulled the I pulled the key about halfway out of the ignition, rattled it around finally. So now I get what my doormate was talking about. It wasn't the appearance of the car so much as the ignition. not much of a car, but but I got going. I headed to the airport, picked up Corinne and two of her friends, we did some shopping, grabbed some lunch about five hours later, we arrived back on campus and I noticed that as we turned. Onto the driveway of campus, there was two police cars parked over beside the security hut. uh, And two police officers standing on the side of the road, along with a very, very animated and clearly agitated senior student. So as I pull up, one of the police officers steps onto the road and he flags me over to the side. I pull over, I unroll the window, and I ask a question that I had asked dozens of times in my life. What seems to be the problem, officer? Only this time, I really didn't know. For the first time, I didn't know the answer to that question. But before the police officer could answer my question, this agitated senior student jumped forward and started yelling at me. Now, his name was Gord. I didn't know him, but I knew of him. I knew Gord for a couple of reasons. Number one, he had really long, blonde hair. He parted it in the middle and he feathered it, so when he walked, his hair would kind of bounce, and also, I knew that he loved jogging, okay? Because he would wear really short running shorts around with him wherever he went. In fact, during mealtime at the cafeteria, he would often be doing calisthenics, okay? He would stick his foot up on a table and stretch out his hammy. It was quite a sight to behold. But anyways, so this is Gordon, and Gordon is clearly, clearly so angry that he's incoherent. He's yelling, he's yelling, I can't make much of it, but I'm getting the sense as as he's yelling at me that he thinks this is his car, and then I stole his car. Well, that's ridiculous. I, this is my doormate's car. And so I was about to pull out the key and say to Gord, hey, listen, Gord, this is the key that my doormate gave me. And as I looked down at the key, I noticed it was hanging halfway out and it hit me. I got this sinking feeling, oh So I step out of the car and I said, man, you guys are not going to believe this. Time out. You're also not gonna believe this, okay? But I'm telling you that it actually happened. Corinne was there, you can ask her, time in. Okay, so I say, guys, you're not gonna believe this. Uh, My doormate gave me the keys. He said it was an old brown Toyota, not much to look at. I walked around the parking lot, I couldn't see it. I saw a brown Celica, that's a Toyota. So I pull out and and it was sticky and the key kind of worked and then the ignition, and I think I might've taken the wrong car with the right key. Well, I could tell right away that the police officers, believed me, they were chuckling and smiling, which was unique and exhilarating for me, you know? Um, But Gord didn't. Gord was not happy. Gord stuck around. Now eventually uh, the police officers, they got in their cars and they drove off and uh, Corinne and her two friends left, but Gord and I were still there. And Gord was yelling at me and yelling at me and yelling at me and he kept on poking me in the chest and poking me in the chest and poking me in the chest, and you're probably wondering, how did the story end, Mike? Well, I'll tell you how the story ended at the end of the sermon. Welcome to Southside Church Online. Thanks for having us over. It is an absolute honor and a privilege that you would invite me into your space, wherever that space might be. We're gonna talk today about brown Toyotas and God's blessing. But before we do, let's pray. Dear God, I wanna pray a blessing upon every man and every woman, every boy and every girl, every family represented by those who are watching right now. Father, I do pray that you would, you would bless them even in the face of adversity. Father, I pray for those who are affected by this pandemic, either physically or emotionally. Father, I pray that you would let hope rise in their lives. I thank you for the heroes that we see around us, the first responders, the medical professionals, Father, as we applaud them as well we should, I pray that the heroic in them would call out the heroic in us, in every one of us. I pray this in your name, amen. So we've been spending some time in the New Testament book of Jude, second last book of the Bible. It's only 450 words, but it's 450 words that really, really pack a punch. Jude says something that you and I have probably figured out by now, that this world we live in, it's not a playground, it's a battleground. And so Jude writes this letter, which has become a book of our Bible, which I guess is a tactical guide for a challenging world. It's a tactical guide for a challenging world. Jude says, you have a friend in Jesus. And Jesus wants to orchestrate a soul-level victory in your life, that you would see victory, but you would bring victory also to others. But you have an enemy in the devil. And he wants to orchestrate a soul-level defeat in your life, that he wants you to see defeat and bring defeat to others. That's his plan. And so there's this battle going on and Jude says, so when you look around the world and you see brokenness, you need to understand that there's an unseen brokenness behind that brokenness that you see. When you, when you look around the world and you see struggle, you need to understand that there's an unseen struggle below that struggle. When you look around the world and you see that there's a battle, understand that there's an unseen battle behind that battle that you see. And so Jude talks about how we take heart in a troubled world. How we take heart in a troubled world, a tactical guide for a challenging world. Last week he said, we gotta have faith. If we're gonna take heart in a troubled world, we have to have faith in the one who has overcome the world. We have to have faith in Jesus. He says, and when that happens, all of a sudden, we look around, we realize that we have a victory that goes deeper than the deepest defeat, that we have a strength that goes deeper than the deepest weakness, that we have a a hope that goes deeper than the deepest despair, that we have a light that shatters the deepest darkness. And so today, uh, Jude continues his tactical guide for winning in a challenging world. He says, you gotta have faith and also, you need to avoid Balaam's error. You need to avoid Balaam's error. What's he talking about there? Well, Balaam is this character out of the Old Testament. One of the most interesting stories in the entire Bible. So Balaam's a prophet. And the Moabites want to hire Balaam to curse God's people, the Israelites. Okay, they say, well, we'll give you a bunch of money if you just curse God's people. And Balaam's like, no, no, I can't do that. How how much much money is like a bunch of money? And he's going back and forth like, "Ah, I probably shouldn't do it, but how much money is a bunch of money? He's going back and forth and back and forth. And eventually he decides, man, I'm just going to go talk to the Moabites and see how much money is a bunch of money. So he gets on his donkey and he starts to ride to go see the Moabite king. But God sends an angel to stop Balaam right in his tracks. The donkey stops and Balaam's like, why are you stopping? And he starts wailing on his donkey like just beating up his donkey and God gives the donkey the ability to speak. And the donkey basically says to Balaam, Hey, moron, why don't you stop hitting me and start obeying God? That's a bit of a paraphrase, but that's sort of what he said. But, but, but if you kind of research and follow the life story of Balaam, what you'll see is that he eventually took the money. That he chose greed over God. That money became Balaam's downfall. So today I want to talk to you, I want to talk to us, about brown Toyotas and God's blessing. So we're going to talk a little bit about money. But don't worry, by the way, you're going to love it. If you spent your whole life in church, I would imagine that the the talk that I'm going to talk today about money is going to be different than any talk about money that you've ever heard. Or or maybe this is your first time ever joining a church, being part of a church service. I'm pretty sure that the talk that I'm going to give about money today is going to be unlike you ever expected to hear in a church. Brown Toyotas and God's blessing. So let's go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke the universe into existence. And the pinnacle of all of creation, God created people in his own image. Adam and Eve and the first man and the first woman, and he placed them in the garden of Eden. And he said to them, hey, see all these trees in the garden? You can eat the fruit of all of these trees except for this one tree. This tree is my tree. Leave this tree alone. And maybe you've heard the story before. Adam and Eve go to the one tree that they weren't supposed to go to and they eat fruit off of it. And I want you to think about this for a second because this is really, really, really important. Imagine now for a second that God is hope. Now, I would suggest to you that he is. What happens if you walk away from God? If you walk away from hope, you walk into despair. Okay, so let's imagine that God is strength. Now, what happens if you walk away from strength? You walk into weakness. Now, what happens if God is courage? And you walk away from God, well, you walk in to fear. And what happens, by the way, if God is blessing? You step away from blessing, you step into a curse. Now you can read this story in Genesis chapter three, but basically what happens in that moment that Adam and Eve walk away, the pinnacle of God's creation, when they walk away from the God who is blessing, they walk into a curse and there's a creational curse. And one of the primary curses that is laid out in Genesis chapter three, God tells them, because of this now, because you walked away from blessing, there's gonna be a curse on your finances, on your resources is going to be an economic curse. Look at I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. This is why money is such a grind. It's why we worry about money. It's why we're fearful about money. It's why fulfillment is so elusive. Contentment is so elusive. It's why you see people when they're 20 years old and they say, man, if by the time I'm 30, I have this much money, I'll be, it'll be enough. And then they hit 30 and they got twice that much and they say, I just need a little bit more. Or, or, or people who say when they're 30, man, if I have that much when I'm 40, it'll be enough. And they get to 40, they have twice that much. But yet if you ask them, is it enough? They say, no, I just need a little bit more because fulfillment is so elusive. It's this economic curse, and and you see it instituted. You you, you see it play out in Genesis chapter 3. One chapter later, in Genesis chapter 4, God introduces the antidote to that economic curse. It's called the principle of first fruits. Another way that the Old Testament describes it is the principle of the tithe. Proverbs 3 9 and 10 explains it this way Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. God says, I'm, I'm gonna give you an anecdote to this economic curse. It's the principle of first fruits. That you reverse the curse. So, so, so you take the, the first 10th of your harvest, the first 10th of your gain, the first 10th of your income, and you bring it back to God and, 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 and he reverses the curse and moves you back into blessing. Now I mentioned that, and it's really important that I clarify this because that is the exact opposite of what so many people have been taught. What you've been taught or what's been alluded to uh, towards you has been this. If you don't give money, God will curse you. Well, that's not true says, since Genesis chapter three, there's been a curse on all of creation, including an economic curse. In Genesis four, God says, I have an antidote. I'm gonna lift the curse. I'm gonna restore you to a place of blessing. Here's how you do it. It's the principle of first fruits or the principle of the tithe. And I wanna tell you right up front, this is not a salvation issue. Romans chapter 10, verse nine is very clear. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. We do not add a a comma where God placed a period. That's it. So if you call on the name of Jesus, you are saved. Your sins are forgiven. Your eternity is secure. You're all set. And now the only thing that hangs in the balance is the rest of your life. And the question is, are you gonna live the rest of your life in victory or defeat? Because can I be really clear? When someone becomes a Christian, when they call out and Jesus saves them, you know what the devil doesn't do? The devil doesn't look at that man, doesn't look at that woman and say, oh, well, forget her, forget him. Man, they're a Christian now. No, no, he, he, he has a plan, and that plan is still the same. That plan is that you would live a life of defeat. And one of the ways that he would like to orchestrate that, one of the names, actually, that the devil is given in the Bible is the devourer. And what he wants to do specifically in your life, he wants to devour your fulfillment, he wants to devour your contentment, he wants to devour your satisfaction, he wants to devour your peace, he wants to devour your abundance and god in genesis 4 says hey let's reverse the curse hey let's step out of that curse into a place of blessing and gratitude and fulfillment and contentment you say well that seems real simple it is simple and it is not at all easy because money is a grind money is a challenge all the way since genesis 3 money has been a challenge So I could stand up here and be all arrogant and say, man, I don't get what you don't get. No, it's a grind. It's a massive challenge. But please understand that this principle of first fruits is actually an invitation that God gives to you and God gives to me, and it's an invitation to blessing. That's it. Can we step into it? It's hard. I think in order to do so, you gotta kinda answer three questions. A question of possession, purpose, and provision. Possession, purpose, and provision. So what's the question of possession? Well, it's real simple. Who owns this stuff? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says it all belongs to God, all of it. And the stuff that we refer to as our stuff, well, that's the stuff that he's entrusted us with. But it's all his. Like, he he gave us our resources. He gave us our strength and our ingenuity, our creativity and our intelligence. He gave you your tenacity. And that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Because you think, well no, my tenacity comes from a bunch of adversity. I know it's amazing, because what God did is he worked through that adversity and he took what the enemy meant for evil and he actually turned it for good. So, So the Bible says it all belongs to him. And if we miss that, according to the Bible, things start to get real weird. So can I go back to the story of Gord for a second? So let's imagine for a second that I turned into the, uh, into the driveway of Trinity Western, Uni- Trinity Western University. And, uh, I pulled up and I said, what seems to be the problem officer? And I really didn't know the answer. And then Gord came up and he started yelling at me and, uh, and I got out of the car and I said, Hey, Gordo, easy, man. You know, you're like, Hey, stay away from my car. Are you crazy? Like, do you have any idea how long it took me to wash, wax, and detail this car? Like, you're losing your mind, and, and it's okay, but just stay away from my car. That, that would have been a weird moment, I think. Right? Like, and, and I think if I would have said that, that moment would have probably ended in me either being arrested or sitting down with some nice people talking about delusional psychosis. Okay, one of those two things would have happened, but it would have been weird for sure. Okay? Or how about this one? How about... I pull in, and, and, and there's the police officers, and there's Gord, and they all believe me, and, 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 and I'm exhilarated, and the police leave, and Corinne and her friends leave, and Gord's still there, and he's poking me in the chest, and he's yelling at me, and he's yelling at me, he's poking me in the chest, and finally I stop him, and I go, Gord, I'm no expert, but it seems to me like you're having a tough day. You seem stressed. You seem pretty anxious to me, Gord, and, 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 and I want to make it better. So I've been thinking about it, as you've been berating me, I've been thinking to myself, I want to give you a little gift. Actually, Gord, to be honest, it's not such a little gift. I want to give you this brown Toyota Celica. No, 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 I know, it's crazy, it's crazy, I know, Gord, it's crazy, but I want you to have it. No, no, I do, like, I I, I know this will cheer you up. You say, well, that's weird, Mike. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that when we miss that this is all God's stuff, uh, we can start getting pretty weird, too. So that's where you get people who are Christians, who say, hey God, thank you so much for salvation. (laughs) Two thumbs up. Thank you for forgiveness, and thank you so much for eternal life. Can't thank you enough, but stay away from my brown Toyota. You know what I mean? Like, Like, that's great, all that stuff is good, but this is my brown Toyota, don't touch it. Or, Somebody would look at God and say, God, you know what? You've been doing a real good job running the universe lately. No, I'm serious. No, I mean it. It's good. Like the whole corona thing was tough, but I mean, the, the curve is being flattened, and I'm, I'm happy about that. And I don't know. I'm, I got to tell you something, God. I, I, no, 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 no. I'm serious. I want to give you a little something. No, no, just a second. I want to, yes, here you go. Keep it up. Hey, hey, keep it up. Okay. So that would be a little bit weird. But that's what happens if you can't get past the question of possession. Who owns this stuff? Oh, if if it's all me, then why would I give? But if it all belonged to God, why why would I not invite him to bless me? Then we move to the second question. The second question is a question of purpose. It's a real simple question too. The question of purpose is this. What am I here for? (laughs) What am I here for? That's it. Oh, the Bible's answer to that question is blessing. That's it. You're here for blessing. To receive it and to bring it. That's why God placed you on the planet. Blessing. To receive it and to bring it. That's why it's a little weird to me when I hear somebody say, hey, you know what? This whole giving thing, this whole first fruits tithe thing, it's more of an Old Testament thing. When Jesus showed up in history, he abolished all of that stuff. He abolished the law. Actually, he didn't. Do you know that Jesus himself said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it? Now, I want you to think about that. I want to explain that for a second. Okay, so let's imagine a life without Jesus. Life without Jesus means I live my life under the law. Under the law, and, and so now I need to save myself. I need to earn it. I need to achieve forgiveness. I need to achieve salvation. I need to achieve eternal life. How do I do that? I need to obey every law. I'm under the law. I gotta I got do every do. I, I can't do any don'ts. I gotta dot every I, I gotta cross every T. I'm living my life under the law. And then Jesus showed up. And Jesus says, I got this. And he, and he lived the perfect sinless life that I was not capable of living and he died the death that my sins deserved. So everything that needed to be done for my salvation is complete, it's finished. And now he lifts me up above the law, above the law. But but his purpose for me is still the same. His purpose for me is still this, blessing. So why would Jesus lower the bar? Right, like in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Okay. But I tell you the truth. Now, just a second. So, so what if Jesus wanted to lower the bar here? Okay. You've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I tell you the truth. Hey, it's okay to beat the living snot out of them, but don't kill them. Okay. That, that would be lowering the bar, right? But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, you, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you the truth. If anyone looks at another person with hatred, they're already guilty of murder. Now listen, Jesus raised the bar. What's that bar called? You need, we need to get this. What's that bar called? That bar is called blessing. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Jesus isn't calling you up to a higher standard of behavior modification. Jesus has a plan for you, and that plan is called blessing. And he knows this about you, that you're going to receive more blessing, that you're going to bring more blessing when you're living in a place of love and kindness rather than a place of hatred and rage. He raised the bar. What's the bar called? The bar is called blessing. And then Jesus said, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you the truth. And what if Jesus would have lowered the bar? But I tell you the truth, you know, unless your spouse is really annoying you and that person at work is super cute, hey, try, try, to, try to be faithful. No, Jesus doesn't lower the bar. He raises the bar. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you the truth, if anyone looks at someone that they're not married to with lust in their eyes, they're already guilty of adultery. What's Jesus doing? He's raising the bar. What's the bar called? Blessing. Because here's what he knows about you. And here's what he knows about me. I'm going to live in a place of greater blessing when I live in faithfulness, not unfaithfulness. What am I here for? Blessing. To receive it, to bring it. And so the Bible teaches hey, God's inviting you into blessing through the principle of the tithe and the principle of first fruit. And then Jesus comes along, and you know what he did? He raised the bar. Jesus said, hey, just follow in my footsteps. Just live like I lived. Was Jesus generous? Well, what did Jesus give? Everything. So, 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 so what am I here for? Oh, blessing. To receive it and to bring it. To make a difference in the life of the people around me. And what I would suggest to you is that what's true for us individually is also true for us collectively. A few years ago, I started spending some time asking myself, What's Southside here for? (laughs) Started asking that question of purpose. Now, we were doing all the right things, preaching the gospel and celebrating Jesus, but but I really wanted to spend some time asking myself, What are we here for? And it hit me. It's real simple. We are here for this city and this world. That's why we're here. To take the blessing that we received and to bring it to others. What are we here for? We're here for this city and for this world. And so we started to break that down. And we said, well, we're here to bring help and hope. We're we're here to bring help and hope. So much so that Two years ago, when we started plans to, to build our first ever permanent home, we had heard that in some churches, what happens is that the building becomes the point and all the resources and all the attention get shifted towards the building. And man, we, 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 we did not want that to happen. In fact, we wanted the opposite of that to happen. So we got in a room and we agreed that the only way that we were ever going to build a building is if we first Uh, escalated our help budget and escalated our hope budget to the degree that over the last few years we spent millions of dollars bringing help for this city and for this world, bringing hope for this city and for this world. Because the building's not the point. The building's just a tool. Money's like that too. (laughs) Ah, it's tough. But the money's not the point. The money's the tool. And you wonder to yourself, God, like, why, why did this part of the book of Jude have to be about money? Why are we talking about money now? Like, why can't we talk about bringing more help and more hope to this world when, when the world doesn't need as much help? Or, or Oh, that wouldn't make much sense, would it? So in other words, this is the time. Like, if we're ever going to be generous, this is the time. if if, if we're ever going to live out the fact that we are here for this city and we are here for this world, now would be the time, wouldn't it? If not now, when? If not us, who? See, the principle of first fruits is an invitation to blessing, to receive it and to bring it, but it's tough. You got to answer the the question of possession. Who owns this stuff? (laughs) You got to answer the question of purpose. What am I here for? And then finally, the, the question of provision. And the question of provision is also real simple. Is God going to leave me hanging? The question of provision is real simple. Is God going to leave me hanging? The Italian prophet Malachi, Malachi 3, said it this way. David likes it every time I say it. I could tell that joke a thousand times and David would still laugh. Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates I have and pour, on so much, pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Listen to this, listen to this. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. You know, the one who comes to devour your gratitude, to devour your fulfillment, to devour your contentment to devour your peace. God says, test me in this. I'm gonna st- step you out of that creational curse that's been around since Genesis, Genesis three and gonna move you into blessing, but here's the question of provision. <laughs> what if God leaves me hanging? Like what if he's not really willing and he's not really able to do this? You know, you're walking down the street sometime, you see someone, you go to give him a high five, or actually now in the current climate, you go to give him an elbow bump, Okay, and just about as you're about to do it, they bring their elbow back and they leave you hanging. Or one of the best examples is the old Charlie Brown cartoons, right? Maybe you've seen this before and, there's, and Lucy is holding the football for Charlie Brown and every time he's about to kick the football, she pulls it away. She leaves him hanging. What if God leaves me hanging? It's interesting though because every person who I've ever talked to and I've talked to literally hundreds of people that have accepted God's invitation to blessing, have seen it play out exactly like he said it would play out. Blessing. I could give you lots of stories, but I decided I wanted to talk about us. I wanted to talk about Corinne and me. See, from the very beginning of our marriage, we have been over and above givers. So we've always tithed to whatever church we call home. Because the, the church is God's storehouse to bring help and hope to a world that desperately needs it. But when there's extra opportunities like the More campaign or the Bold campaign or um, the Sunshine Fund, we try to step out, step out over and above. Or when there's opportunities to help out at the Haiti Freed School, whatever it is, we try to be over and above givers. And you know what we've seen? We've seen blessing. God didn't leave us hanging. Now, let me be real clear, by the way, that sometimes there's bumps, and sometimes there's bruises, and sometimes there's battles, but over all of it has been blessing, every bit of it. And I'm gonna give you three tangible ways that God has blessed us, and I believe that he will bless you, too. Number one, he's blessed us with gratitude. He's blessed us with gratitude. So Corinne and I got married, we had four kids, Tori, Lucas, Emma, and Gabe, but we just didn't feel like our family was complete. And then God led us to the incredible opportunity to adopt our two sons, Bedza and Samuel from Haiti. And that was it. That, that was our family. That's what our family needed to be complete. So there's eight of us. And we spent 17 years, all eight of us, in a 1,900 square foot house. So, so some in Canada would say, that's pretty small for eight people. You know, you know what? I never heard once. Not once. Not once. Not once. Not once. Not once in 17 years. In gratitude. Not once. Not one time did I hear someone say, man, if only we had a bigger house. I hate living in this small house. It's so cramped. Not once. Not once. This week, as I was preparing to speak, there was a video that came to my mind when it finally came time for us to move out of that house. We got it all cleaned up and moved out, but the last one to leave was Corinne. and She did all the final cleaning, and before she left, she walked around the house, and she took this video. The response of every single one of us when we watched the video? What do you think? We cried, every one of us. <laughs> and it wasn't crying like, oh, the bad memories. I just no, it was it was crying about all the great memories and all the milestones and all the love. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. God has blessed us with such a sense of gratitude, because we've invited him to. And I know that he'll do the same for you. Second thing that God's blessed us with, it's blessed us with joy. We moved to Chilliwack in the first place because I got a job teaching at this small private school. I had other opportunities, but Corinne and I both knew that this was the school that I was supposed to teach at. And my starting salary, uh, my first year of teaching was $27,000 a year. And, and, and I didn't realize at the time, but I looked it up this week. I realized we were living below the poverty line. You know, I never thought of it that way. I did know for sure, though, that I needed to find other ways to make it income to make sure we could pay our bills. So I put myself through university by waitering. And so my first couple years of teaching, I waited on the weekends. I waited over the summer. And then by my third summer of teaching, I had enough success uh, in teaching history and coaching sports That I leveraged those opportunities over the summer to uh, to make more income. In fact, it wasn't too many summers into teaching that um, I was making as much money in the summer as I was making the rest of the year combined. And I tell you that so that you'll think I'm amazing and cool and such a hard worker. No, I don't. I want you to know something looking back now, honestly, I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed. I enjoyed. I enjoyed it all. I enjoyed waitering. I enjoyed teaching. I enjoyed coaching sports. I, I enjoyed working for the Ministry of Education and Curriculum Development and marking History 12 exams. I enjoyed doing camps. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it so much that it energized me. Like it didn't matter how many hours a week that I worked, when I got home, man, I was ready to party. Like let's go to the park, let's throw the ball around, let's do whatever. He's blessed us with joy. And here's what I know, he will do the same for you if you ask him to, <laughs> if you invite him to. And the third way that I've seen God bless us is direction. Direction. So after 17 years, Corinne and I both knew that uh, it was time to move. Not because, oh, we gotta get out of here, but we just knew it was time to move, you know? And, and Corinne actually said to me, I know the neighborhood that we're supposed to move into. By the way, guys, if you have, uh, if you're married to a woman of faith who prays and believes, and she says something like, I know the neighborhood that we're supposed to move into, you listen to her, I always have. So Corinne says, I know the neighborhood we need to move into, and, and we did. We moved into that very neighborhood. I didn't realize it at the time, but after we moved in, Corinne talked to me about all the miracles that had to take place for us to even move into that neighborhood. Some of them were amazing people, who stepped out in generosity. It was incredible. But God knew that we needed to be in this neighborhood. God knew that there was neighbors that we were going to meet who were going to become good friends. God knew that there was people in that neighborhood that were going to be walking through things that we needed to walk through with them. He knew that we needed to introduce them to a Savior named Jesus, who's the more that they've been looking for, even in the hard times. And introduce them to a group of world changers. So generous that they exist to bring help and hope to a world in desperate need. They're called so Siders. It's like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. He always has. He'll do the same for you. If you invite him to. Look, I know money's a grind. This is not a high-pressure sales pitch at all. I just believe that God wants to bless you. You know, remember I told you I was going to tell you how the Gord story ended. Okay, so anyways, go, so, so the police officers leave and Corinne and two friends leave and Gord is just like, he won't stop yelling at me and he, yelling and yelling and I, sorry, 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 sorry. Finally, when he went to poke me in the chest after about 15, 20 minutes, I don't know how long it was, I just grabbed his hand. and and I kind of held it and I put my other hand on his shoulder I said Gord there's nothing that I can say to you that I haven't already said it's up to you now and and here's the weird thing maybe I would say the exact same thing to you today I've told you everything I know to tell you it's up to you now (laughs) hey I want to ask you one question though I wonder if as I've been speaking today you've been kind of thinking about the fact that money really is a grind. And, 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 and you've been feeling like you've been running and running and running and running and chasing all kinds of stuff, but it's never really satisfied you and it's never really fulfilled you. Can I tell you that God has a plan for you and that plan is called blessing? And the first step of that blessing is to invite Jesus to be your savior. Je- Jesus stepped into human history. He died on a cross and he rose again so that your sins could be forgiven. Your slate could be wiped clean you could have strength for today, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity. That's a free gift. You don't need to achieve it. You just receive it. So if that's you today, if you realize, man, there's, there's something inside of me that says there's more than this world has to offer, I'm telling you there is more. His name is Jesus. He loves you so much. And your next step would be accept his gift of salvation. So if that's you, why don't you just pray along with me as I pray right now. Jesus, thank you thank you that I don't need to jump through hoops. I don't need to behave a certain way. I don't need to be, uh, obey a certain set of rules. I just come to you just as I am right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you died on a cross. So I ask you to be my savior. I pray for that clean slate, for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Jesus, thank you that you rose again. I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you into a life of blessing, one next step at a time. In your name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, could you do me a huge favor? Number one, I'm so excited for you. So proud of you. How amazing. So if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, can you do me a huge favor? Can you just text the keyword life? You can, you can text it to 604-670-670. Thirty, forty, or you can even go on to our uh, self-site together message box on our website. Man, we don't want to stalk you, but you better believe we want to support you. So just before I close, just before I close, I want to ask, man, if you if you're in a room with some other people, or even if you're all by yourself, when I'm done, could you spend some time just thinking about those three questions? They're a big deal, you know. They're simple, but they're not easy. Like the question of possession, who owns this stuff? The question of purpose, what am I here for? And the question of provision, is God going to leave me hanging? (laughs) Those are big questions. (laughs) Corinne tells a story when she was learning how to water ski. The guy who was teaching her said, look, there's only really one rule about getting up on water skis for the first time. Don't let go of the rope. Don't let go of the rope. She's like, okay, don't let go of the rope. Don't let go of the rope. Don't let go of the rope. So she's ready to go, hit it. She pops out of the water, skis immediately. But what was she told? Don't let go of the rope. So she hangs onto that rope. And now she's underwater. And the boat is still going. And she's, ha- she's like a little torpedo just flying through the water there, right? And, and the water's coming at her and the seaweed. And finally, at some point, inadvertently, she goes, man, my hair's in my face. She goes to wipe her hair away. Let's go of the rope. Pops to the surface. Above it all. And I just think in our world, something has taught us when it comes to our money don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. And what I want to suggest to you is God has an invitation to you today be blessed. <laughs> he, can't, he can't feel clenched fists. Be blessed. Be blessed. So, maybe today would be a day that you'd say, you know what? I want to step out. I want to accept that invitation. Well, why don't you, why don't you start giving? You can text the keyword give to 604 670 3040, or you can go on to the website, southsidelife.com, to the give tab, and it'll walk you through every single way that you could possibly give. And one last thing. Maybe, maybe right now you're saying, Mike, I'd love to, but I really need some help right now. Can you please let us know? That's why we're here. Like, we, we want to know, like, if you need help, if you need hope, can you reach out today? So again, you can text that number 604-670-3040. You can go on to the Southside Together message box on southsidelife.com, and we just want to talk to you. We want to find out how we can help. I love you guys a lot.